Good morning. It's good to be with you all, uh, those who are here with us uh, physically and those who are joining us online. Um, I've got a little bit of a confession before we, we get into our text. Uh, I'm a bit emotional this morning. Um, I've been trying to hold it in out there in the pew, but I <laughs> don't know if I'm going to be able to. It's uh, not often in life that you get to... Sorry. It's not often in life you get to intersect with your past so strongly, especially before you were a Christian. It was the year 1990-91 that... Um, after a a short, brief escape to Elgin, Illinois, that my family uh, came back to Louisiana, and we moved to Sterlington, Louisiana, which, you know, we were a bunch of West Monroeans, (laughs) Balkanvillians, and uh, so I think we settled in Sterlington to, to try to escape some of that, but the Lord had much bigger plans, because... Having grown up in a home that didn't have the gospel in it in any form, um, we moved next door to a lady named Clarice Taylor. And she's sitting right there. And um, she was the first person who ever took me to church. And um, first time I'd ever really heard the name Jesus or even begun to even hear the gospel and even beyond that, which would have been more than enough, she was, she was there <clears throat> during some pretty dark times. And uh, we haven't seen each other much over the last 30 years. And she reached out to me and <clears throat> asked to come to, to church and to hear me preach today. And she's here. Ms. Clarice, thank you. I love you. And uh, so forgive me if I'm emotional. Uh, we will get through that together. So pray for me. So we're in Daniel chapter 2, as uh, most of you know, and for those who are visiting, we walk through God's Word verse by verse, and I was assigned (laughs) this text, um, and the text that I was assigned was verses 1 through 16, so uh, that's what we will preach this morning, (laughs) unless the Lord declares otherwise. But uh, again, it's good to be with you. Before we begin, last week, Evan helped us understand how God is using these young Israelites in Daniel chapter 2 in the midst of this pagan land and king. While they're in this exile state, he bestowed upon them gifts, gifts in learning and skill and lecture and wisdom and understanding, even in visions and dreams. And Evan reminded us that God was doing this for their good and for his glory. And so I, I don't want to lose that theme as we continue into Daniel chapter 2. Uh, so if, if we could, let's read the text and then we'll begin. Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that all the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. 
And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servant the dreams, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time change. Times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, for no great or powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king has asked is difficult, and no one can show it except the king. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded all that the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. To Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Uh, Thank you for the reminder of your faithfulness this morning. That, um, Lord, you use your people to reveal yourself, to make your love, your sacrifice, to make known the, the gospel uh, to us. And Father, my, my prayer, my request is this morning as we read Daniel chapter 2 and, and we dive into the text, Lord, that it would point us to you, to our great need of a Savior and our great need for that salvation in Christ Jesus. Uh, Father, I just thank you for the ability to gather here as your people. And just trust you with this time. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So wow. Here Daniel and his friends, they have been bestowed with these gifts, right? And they have been uh, elevated to the, to the king's court to enter in the king's public service. Sitting at his table, labeled as wise men. Uh, but yet, there's a sentence that's now been put on, on these wise men. So in a sense, this blessing has now become a curse, right? And we find ourselves in what I call the conflict of this text. So beginning in chapter 1, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, you might actually see a bit of a a, a conflict in the text. Because we know that Daniel and his friends, they were to be trained for three years, right? And we know that Nebuchadnezzar was ruling at the time of verse 1 chapter 1 verse 1 
So how did three years pass, but yet we're in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar? So just to make sure that no one's confused, more than likely what it is, is although Nebuchadnezzar began ruling, his father was still alive. And I remember his name here. I've got it somewhere. I'll bring it up in a second. But when he died, the next following year began the, probably the Babylonian, Babylonian calendar of the first year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And so they started their training. He was already ruling. His father dies. Then the next year begins, full year. Then the next year is actually third year, but the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. That all makes sense? A lot of math early in the uh, text. Sorry about that. Um, but that helps us understand why, uh, you know, here it says in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And in that second year, they were, um, Nebuchadnezzar had these dreams. And his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. And at this point, it's not important that we know the dreams. That's actually going to come later in the text. So come, come the following Sundays. Uh, what we're about, not, not, it's not important what the texts were, text were about, but we understand that dreams were important to the Babylonians. They were important to the Babylonians, and they believed that dreams were important because they could be interpreted. They even had these things called, you know, dream tablets, where they had studied dreams and the meanings of them. And if this thing occurred in your dream, then it poss- possibly meant this thing. And we see that's why it was so important that the, te- that the king tell what his dream was so they could interpret it, right? And so that's why King Nebuchadnezzar summons uh, the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell his dream. And I first read this, and I'm like, is this like out of the Lord of the Rings or something? Magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers, you know? But these were the labels that these people had. They thought they were men and women of science. Um, But they were labeled magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers. And he wanted to know what the interpretation of his dream was. He says, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. You know, don't die. You know, live forever. That's what you say to a king, especially a tyrannical king. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll show the interpretation. And the king answered and said, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known the dream... And its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. So just imagine this for a minute. You know this king is kind of off his rocker a little bit. Probably doesn't value human life quite that much. And he calls you in after not having much sleep that night. Probably hasn't drank his uh, Egyptian breakfast blend of coffee yet, right? And he's, he's not in a good mood. And he wants to know what his dream was. And he knows it was important, but he can't remember what it was. Like he can't even describe to them what the dream was, yet he wants to know its interpretation. And he tells them, if you can't tell me what the dream is, I'm going to tear you limb from limb, and I'm going to make your houses in ruin. Now, I did a little bit of a word study for that word ruin, which is also rubbish, a little bit of word study of rubbish, which is dunghill. I don't know if you study the word dunghill lately, but it means a big pile of manure. So he is going to decimate their houses. That could mean their whole family, not just physically their home. I mean, he is, 
he has put out a decree of uh, basically annihilating them if they can't interpret this dream that he can't even remember. I don't know about you, but I'd probably be like, um, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're, you're probably back at uh, Babylonian High, and you're walking through the halls, and you don't understand why everybody's staring at you, and then you look down, and you don't have pants on. Like, <laughs> I would just make it up, right? What's a dream that, that people have that really, you know, makes them feel weird? You're probably in your bed, and there's snakes everywhere, and a tornado's coming. Like, these common elements that, that pop up in the dream. But no, they, they, they say, hey, flesh and blood can't do this. You've asked the impossible. Our tablets, our divinations, all of our uh, abilities are unable to do this. But we know that he means business. And so, picking up in verse 6, but if you show the dream and its interpretation, you will receive rewards and great honor, and therefore show us the dream and the interpretation. And they answered a second time and said, Tell the king and his servants what the dream is, and we'll show the interpretation. The king again answered, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time. And I want to remember this part of the text for later on. I won't get to preach it. But in verse 17, we find that Daniel does gain time. But they could not. So he says, You're trying to gain time from me uh, because you know that I mean business, that my word is firm. So, verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on the earth who can meet the king's demands, for O great and powerful king, no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or Chaldean. The thing that the king has asked is too difficult, and no one can show it, show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. You see, God is setting up this situation to bring himself glory. The system is rigged, and it always is. All things, no matter how you label them, whether good or bad, are designed to force you to depend on Christ and ultimately to glorify God. This is one reason I believe that the believer is you know, commanded to give thanks in all things. That no one needs to, to, to label these things as good or bad necessarily because we are to be thankful for all things. Because we ultimately know that the reason it rains on the just and the unjust alike is because God is drawing it to, to himself through his son and he's going to glorify himself. It'll be him who gets the credit. And so the Chaldean statement of flesh and blood can't do this is not misplaced. They're right. They're right, and God is orchestrating this situation for that to be the case, for him to, be, to get the glory, and ultimately, as we'll see, for Daniel to turn to him, to look to him. Verse 12, because of this thing, the king was angry and very furious, and a command that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So a decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. I don't know about you, but the idea of a king's decree is pretty scary. I mean, think about it. We, I mentioned that these, this blessing of becoming one of the wise men, being entered into the service of the king, that blessing, that, 
they were riding that high. They had just won the nutrition battle, right? And, and elevated uh, to, to, to into the king's court. And they're probably giving God all this thanks of, of how God showed up mightily for them, as we saw in chapter 1, only to now be told that the sentence is death for being one of the wise men of, the, of, of, of Babylon. How would you handle this news? The thing that you would you likely have, have given God the credit for in your life now is the difficult thing in your life. Maybe you prayed for a spouse and now it's difficult. Maybe you prayed for children and now it's difficult. Maybe you prayed for work and now it's difficult, right? This blessing, this thing that you, you really sought God for now brings trouble. These things happen. How, how would you handle that situation or better yet how do you because we all have them right we all have them so it's going to be interesting to see how Daniel handles this situation you know at the at the top of my of of my Bible and and Daniel I have the words written no compromise and I don't know how long ago I wrote that I, I probably heard it in a sermon and and thought it was really good to think about this 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 guy Daniel who who never compromises and he's he's almost like a spiritual superhero and honestly as I get into the text now I realize that there's some danger there thinking about you know if I could just be courageous as Daniel if I could you know just eat as well as he did <laughs> you know <laughs> you name it right if I could just never compromise you know I would have all this ways in which I could overcome life, and it sounds great, probably would make for a really good movie. But I don't know if that's the point here. I don't know if that's the point. So let's, so let's see how Daniel responded to this news. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone to kill the wise men of Babylon. And I think here we we see the sovereign hand of God again. Because likely there was, you know, quite a few of the king's guard who went out to execute this sentence of judgment, right? To, to tear limb from limb the wise men of Babylon. But to Daniel, it's the captain that shows up. It's the captain of the king's guard. And I think, you know, obviously it happened, so we know God's hand was in it, but I think it's actually really important because this gives Daniel a chance to get to the king, to, to make his uh, petition known to the king because he has the captain of the guard. And so I, I think that's a, a real blessing here that that's who showed up for Daniel. But he replied with prudence and discretion. Is there many people in your life that, that you would describe as prudent and having discretion? Mm, not a ton, not a ton, but it's a quality that when we see it, we really appreciate it, right? We, we, we put a lot of value when we experience that in someone's life. For someone to be prudent doesn't mean they're fearful. It doesn't mean they won't take risk. It doesn't mean they won't take that leap of faith. It just means they're really thoughtful and cautious about it. 
And for me, like as a Christian, that means I'm asking, Lord, are you in this? I'm not going to be um, just presume the sin of presumption, to presume that God's in it. But to be prudent, to, to seek the Lord and His will, to seek His word, to seek counsel amongst your, God's people, the men and women that God has placed in your life, to speak into it. But to be cautious, to be thoughtful, to not respond really, really, really quick and in haste. And to have discretion. Uh, I have the definition of discretion here. The quality of being discreet. <laughs> That's real helpful. <laughs> to be circumspect is to be careful, right? And as I read this, I'm going, man, I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he told the disciples, I'm going to send you out as sheep amongst wolves. I'm going to literally send you out as the food for the enemy, like, and you will have no defense. <laughs> but his challenge to them was to be wise as serpents. To be wise as serpents. And a few of you here have heard me talk about this before, but what makes a serpent wise? Well, I think one thing that does is this entire body is designed to be prudent, <laughs> to, to test, to know, to sense. A serpent's tongue is constantly testing the air to know what's around it. It's, it's hypersensitive to what's really going on, right? Well, to me, for the believer, that means we're in tune to the Holy Spirit. Our, our senses are turned up to say, Lord, what are you up to? I understand that Nebuchadnezzar wants his dream interpreted. And I understand that his captain of the guard is here to do me in. But what are you up to? What's really going on here? What story is really being written? And not looking at what's right in front of him, but looking for the Lord in all things. As we know, God is sovereign and he is writing this beautiful, beautiful story about how he saves his people. And so he's cautious and he's prudent and he's basically being wise as a serpent. And I kind of just was, we, we get a little bit of taste here of, of how he responded. He says, he, answer, he has this question, why is the king so urgent? And I imagine there's probably some other conversation going on like, dear Ariok, captain of the king's guard. I understand you have an order to execute my life or your life will be in danger if you don't follow through. And I don't want to jeopardize your life in any way. But would you give me a moment to discuss a way that I think I can honor the king and then you can be honored as well by helping interpret the king's dream or by helping make known the king his dream. Therefore, we can get an interpretation. Well, however it happened, we know that it was done prudently, and we know that it was done with discretion. There wasn't this, how dare him? I just became part of the king's men. I actually have all these gifts. <laughs> they were bestowed upon me. This is not fair. You know, that's, that wasn't the response. How dare this happen? What an evil king. How dare he let this happen? But that's often what we do. You know, we, we want to call those things out. Instead of, in my opinion, seeing the big picture of how God is going to bring, it's going to save his people and bring himself glory. Because, let's, let's face it, life isn't fair. 
I was on the phone with a client the other day, and they're sitting in a Chick-fil-A line, and the person behind them runs into them. He's like, oh, somebody just ran into me. I'm getting God's chicken. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the natural response is to get spun up, right? To get upset. Well, how would you handle that situation? Do you go, all right, Lord, I don't know what you're doing here, but I'm going to get out and be your man and woman as I approach the car. And let people experience you as someone who's being cautious to see what the Lord's up to, not just reacting to what's happening to you. Because by doing so, you end up bringing light into a dark place, right? You end up bringing love to a place that didn't seem so lovable. You end up getting to be a Miss Clarice to a Justin, right? whenever you're thinking about what story is God writing rather than what's happening to me. In verse 16, after Arioch had made known the matter to Daniel, why he was about to kill him, and Daniel said, Daniel went in and requested of the king to appoint a time that he might interpret the dream Daniel asked for time just like the Chaldeans and the king granted it to him you see the Lord's hand is clearly at work and Daniel's hope isn't that the king will be reasonable but that God would make a way and he knows that he needs time why? he needs time to pray he needs time to hear from the Lord Because flesh and blood can't interpret dreams. Could you imagine if somebody walked up to you this morning and told you what you dreamed and then told you its interpretation? That would be crazy. That would be nuts for something like that to happen. You would know that something supernatural is at work, right? You would know. But I was assigned verses 1 through 16, so I can't tell you that. (laughs) You're going to have to come back next week to get the rest of that story. But I don't want to miss how God is at work in Daniel right now and how he is orchestrating all things to force Daniel to continue to not simply be courageous or have no compromise, but to trust him, to put his faith in him. That God is the one who doesn't compromise and is the one that doesn't change. And that it is Him that we can rely on. You see, Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14, which is really a contemporary of Daniel, puts Daniel in this class of men. He says, in verse 1 it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, verse 14, Even these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, were, were in it, but they would have been, they would deliver their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord. They, Daniel, Job, and Noah could not save the people around them. They could not. And Ezekiel is getting to the point that, that they were insufficient to save the people of God. Their righteousness wasn't good enough. Noah, Job, or Daniel. If they're not good enough, 
Daniel walked into the fire. Took a nice long nap in the lion's den. Wasn't good enough. There's only one who can save. And that's Christ Jesus. And why? Well, not only is he righteous, but he took on your sin and my sin. Colossians chapter 4 verse 15 says, He being Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. How did Jesus triumph over the rulers and authorities? He did so by being stripped naked and beaten and put to an open shame. They put on him a robe and a crown of thorns, put in his hand a scepter, and even over the cross put his title, King of the Jews. And they, in, in a sense, lifted him up and enthroned him on the cross. But it was there he was taking on him the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. That he who is, he who is righteous might be made sin so that you and I could be made righteous in him. How is God still already, past, present, future, how has God defeated the rulers of this world? He did it by giving his life. For you and me. How will we overcome? Well, he overcame. Therefore, those who are in him have overcome. So, my prayer for all of us today is as we go out and we live in our own version of whatever Babylon is here in America, that we understand the goal isn't just to be different. The goal isn't just to appear more righteous. The goal is to be dependent on Christ in all things and understand that He is working out His plan in you and through you in Christ to glorify Himself and to save His people. And He will do it. And so we get to be full of hope. We get to have joy. We get to be thankful in all things. Even if we get ran into in the Chick-fil-A line. Right? So that is my prayer for you guys. My prayer for myself as well. And uh, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, not only for your word, but the word became flesh and it dwelt among us and lived the life that we could never live, but died the death that we deserve to die, taking on our sin, taking on the penalty and the, that was due us having nailed the handwriting of requirements that was against us to the cross, that although guilty of, of the law, Lord, have been made righteous in Christ, that not only would we be able to have life eternally, but that we'd be able to have life today. That we'd be able to, to, to walk in this world in a manner that is full of hope and Lord that we can be your people 
who are prudent, who have discretion, not because we have all the answers, but because we know that you are writing your story where you will receive glory and we receive Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.